Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Can You Hear Me podcast. I'm Rob Johnson, president of Rob Johnson Communications. And I'm Eileen Rochford, CEO of the marketing and strategy group, The Harbinger Group. So most of our listeners know that recently we began a series of podcasts with the goal of refreshing your communications elements. And our last episode was about getting your internal house in order, particularly your foundational messaging. And today we're talking about making sure that your spokespeople are media ready. Yeah, this is something you don't want to overlook, Eileen, and it's vital because in the world of earned media, you only get one chance to make a good impression for your company and your brand. If your message is muddled or your spokespeople are ill-prepared because they aren't laser-focused on the task at hand in that media interview, it can go badly quickly. It sure can, Rob. Absolutely. But don't fear, have any fear, I should say, because that's where we come in. We're going to talk about all the things you do to make sure you're not a part of that disaster. So let's just lay some foundation. Aside from general character attributes like being level-headed, being well-informed, your spokespeople need to understand very clearly what the purpose of every interview is. And then be able to zero in on questions and other preparation that will allow them to have a positive interview experience. So I'll tell you, one of the things I love to use is a little tool. Um, it's the acronym is CAP, K-A-P-P. So whenever I'm looking at potential spokespeople with any clients that, um, with whom we work, I look, I determine, are they knowledgeable? Now that's a Basic, as we've just said, they've got to be well-informed. They need to know what the, they're talking about. Um, they need to be accessible. Do they have a job that will allow them to take on this position and be able to do an interview with sometimes not that much notice? Do, is their schedule too full? Are they able to juggle their commitments so that they could respond to Reuters or Bloomberg or I could go on and on? If they're really not able to do that, then you're going to think about long-term media opportunities. Those that maybe, you know, contributed bylined articles, things that don't rely on quick responses. Yeah. The time sensitivity. Yeah. So accessibility is key, but you can evaluate. Well, all right. Well, maybe they're not that accessible, but they could manage to edit an article that we write based on an interview with them. So that's an example of what we mean by accessibility. But if you're in a situation where you're looking to get exposure in mainstream media, really top tier outlets that have pressing deadlines and quick turnarounds, you need to have a spokesperson who can juggle their schedule, prioritize this and make themselves available. So that's accessibility. Yeah. And, and listen, based on my years in television, that's the way it works. It's like you get assigned a story or you figure out who you want to interview and you're like, hey, I need to come do an interview in the next hour, two hours, whatever the case may be. So to your point about accessibility, they've got to be ready to go. They got to know what they're going to say and they've got to be ready to be nimble. Yeah. Yeah. It's key. It, it's funny. Accessibility isn't something that C-suite spokespeople, C-suite level um, spokespeople don't often think about, they just want the media coverage. They just want to be included in that story. But when we press them to think about how much can you accommodate the demands of being a spokesperson, 
And if we were to present you with the opportunities at the most top tier media outlets, are you able to stop everything, drop what you're doing, cancel that trip or reroute your trip to go to New York for Good Morning America? Can you do that? If they can't answer yes, then we look harder at other people inside the organization who can be just as credible and attention grabbing, but particularly CEOs, media outlets that demand the highest level executives, you know, be the person they interview. You got to make sure that your spokesperson, that CEO or C-suite executive can fulfill those obligations because it's super important. It's the worst thing you want to do is create the expectation at a media outlet. Yeah, I've got this great uh, story with a great spokesperson. It's all packaged up and ready to go. And then your spokesperson can't deliver because they won't make themselves available. And really by virtue, if you're a CEO or a C-suite level executive, isn't juggling 30 things just part of the job? <laughs> That's not like job. a, yeah. it's not like, oh gosh, we're going to, we're going to make you do something new here. I mean, it's just another thing. So yeah. hopefully they would be able to do that. Yeah. And the thing is, Rob, it's an indication, I believe, of your spokesperson's um, commitment to being a spokesperson if they're willing to juggle, right? And also yeah. their understanding of how critical it is that their role include being accessible to the news media, even sure. though they're the highest you know, level or one of the highest level executives inside of the organization. It's just an indication of how seriously um, really does the leadership of the organization take earned media in kind of the, the whole success of their marketing mix. Right. So it's a, it's a reflection of commitment in my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. Let's move on to provocative. Don't you just love that word? It's provocative. One of my and, and, and when you're thinking about it generally, you're like, do you want to provoke? Uh -huh. uh, it's like it's so this out of, out of the ones we're talking about in your acronym here yep. this is the one that i'm that i'm not going to say i'm most interested in but this is the one where you go okay i, I know how you're going to frame it but that's the one that we want people to understand right. because you, you don't want to necessarily i mean you, you want to make headlines but you don't want to make headlines for the wrong reason <laughs> certainly not so let's clarify we're not talking about sex scandals okay we don't oh, no, no, yeah totally no that's just not what uh, we're going for just kidding. So provocative in this case really is, is your spokesperson able to, um, you know, artfully frame their messages and answer questions in ways that, um, you know, it feels natural, but in ways that gets people to sit up and listen and piques interest, right? That's what we mean. It's that simple. Provocative it's just a word that I often use to make it maybe a little bit more interesting when I'm explaining. <laughs> and you did. To folks. Yeah, there you go. See, and that's kind of their little um, so subtle nod to what it is that we need them to do. You need to use words. You need to frame um, something that might be uh, a little dull, like um, uh, regular, the, the need for um, remembering uh, your annual colonoscopy. That might be like, what? I don't want to go on television and talk about this. Well, if you put it the right way and you connect to whatever topic it is that you have to talk about to something that's, you know, a really timely trend, then yeah. you can be far more um, successful in landing your messaging and getting people to listen to what it is that you're saying once your story airs or appears. 
So let me, let me try. Let me try this out for just a second. Okay. So so back on the colonoscopy thing because <laughs> yeah, I'm at the one. age where that that's happened a couple. You know, you got to do it. And I when when you sit there and go colonoscopy, oh gosh. Well, I would tell a story about having two dear friends of mine who passed away from colon cancer and oh, the importance yeah. of getting it done and not waiting too long. And totally. so so that's the story I'm going to tell. And nice. if you're talking about being provocative, that, that wasn't a two-minute story. That was a, it's really important, folks, and here's why. And here's how it touched me. And let me tell you a story about why it's so important for me to have these things done for as uncomfortable as they are, as they sound and as they are. Yeah. It's vital to do it. And that's why. Is that, yeah. is that being provocative a little bit? I, I believe it is. I think that's an excellent um, example. Well done. I, it's, it's totally just thinking about how, well, when you're, you know, as a, say you're chief marketing officer, say you're just, um, say you're a VP of uh, communications and you lead up our media, when you're looking inside your organization and you're determining, are you, are you our best spokesperson or are you our best spokesperson? Mm-hmm. Watch how they talk all the time, casually, one-on-one meetings, small group meetings, even, you know, all hands or uh, internal um, organizational huddles, are they able to, you know, open up in a way that really pulls people in? Well, that's what you're looking for. And if they can do that inside, it's not a far stretch to teach them how to do that outside while, you know, keeping in mind any and all guardrails that your organization may have in terms of things you can and can't say, SEC regulations, FDA regulations, whatever the case may be, right? But that's, uh, that comes through in training. But if you yes. see that nugget of talent inside when they're talking, again, in any of those settings I just described, they can be a great spokesperson. And, and the point, too, is, as we're sitting here talking about the provocative part of your acronym, is making sure that everybody's being authentic to who they are. So who is the best spokesperson for this particular issue? Who, who can speak clearly? And coherently about it, who can tell a story? And and I think that the CEOs that I work with that are able to start weaving stories in that bring people in, I think that's part of being provocative as you've defined it. Yeah, you're dead on. Um, okay, so proactive. What do we mean in this case? So when you're looking around and and determining are my current spokespeople or or new spokespeople that you know we're considering to kind of put into our I call it our roster of spokespeople, proactivity in this case is, it's a number of things. It hits a a couple of what I think are really important points of being a good spokesperson. For example, are you able to drive a conversation, not just respond to questions? Again, that's a teachable skill. It's something that people can learn. But if you're noticing that either your current spokespeople or people you're considering to put into your roster if there's if their technique has gotten a little dull when it comes to being able to drive the conversation, that's an indication of you're not totally media ready right now, and I got to put you back in training camp. So let's get either a refresh media training on the books, um, or a full fledged dedicated session to really get everyone's head on straight about it. Um, but that's I'm saying that in the vein of this new series that we're focusing on, kind of the core communications elements and mm-hmm. taking the time now that um, business is kind of going back to normal 
uh, to make sure that everything from your press kit to your spokespeople, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is in top working order. Well, start evaluating, kicking the tires on these different um, areas, but in, in particular, I think proactivity. Can they do this well? Can they drive a conversation? Can they, I love, I have a particular CEO. Gosh, we love working with the CEO so much. They have a knack for when we have our check-ins and are talking about, you know, the CEO and just overall, you know, earned media strategy. They come, they are proactive, I should say. They come to every meeting prepared and they are proactive in our conversation about offering new ideas. Are they able to connect the dots? And if they're not, um, think about a training session that can be a facilitated conversation about the most timely topics that are related to your industry um, that will catch the attention of you know, your priority media targets, but how can you freshen those up, right? Take one of those trending issues and connect it to either your product or your service, et cetera. You get it, but there's um, the element of proactivity and the uh, ability to drive a conversation and to um, create new ideas for great stories or help you in partnership with, you know, your media team and maybe your PR agency. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for someone who wants to play that role, not the robot who just sits there and says, great, tell me who I'm talking to and what I'm supposed to say. They just don't tend to end up being the best spokespeople. And you may have a few of those going on right now, and maybe it's time to rotate them out. Well, the other thing too is, and, and you can coach people up, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, and, and that's what we do, right? I mean, we, we sit here and prepare um, our clients uh, to do their very best in these situations. However, some people have a knack for it a little more naturally, and some people don't. Some people are more robotic, as you just said. Others seem to get it. They come to the meetings. They come prepared. They come with ideas. They come with, hey, should we be thinking about this or that? And whether it's actionable or not, it may be, may be useful to you. So, so yes, it, this can all be taught. And yes, this is what we do on a regular basis. However, some people have that knack, have that interest, and yeah. they're the ones that are uh, that seem to do better in this in these scenarios. Yeah, totally agree. You can you can teach anybody to do anything, but are they going to be the best at it? Right. You know, sometimes you have to settle, and that's okay because maybe your best isn't able to be accessible, and that's mm, something that I see a lot. But that's yeah. okay. You know, you work with what you got. So I want to talk a little bit about when you go into a situation and you know why you're there and you have a, you have a, you have a very direct purpose about what you're supposed to be doing. So when you're um, asking these questions, the ones that you've been asking, and when you're talking about some of the prerequisites that are there, we also want to talk about being able to walk into this interview and you know why you're there to not only get on message, but to stay on message. You're not here to tell everybody chapter and verse about the entire company. You're there to talk about whatever specific issue is before you. So we have a few tricks that lots of people in similar situations will use. And for purposes of this podcast, we're going to be talking about, we're going to scale it down a little bit and talk about bridging and flagging. Bridging is when you're asked a question, any question. You answer it. It may be a winner for you, then you can really answer it. 
if it's if you're veering off course a little bit, you answer it, but then you get back on course to where you want to talk about. So bridge back to what you came to talk about. So let's say you're in an interview and your sole purpose is to talk about your latest widget that your company is manufacturing. The interview, interviewer may let you talk about it, but might try to get you to talk about an older widget that doesn't work as well. Maybe it's outdated. So you answer the question. You never say no comments or ignore the question. And this is sometimes where politicians get themselves in trouble. I ask you a question about the widget and you just ignore it. And you want to lose credibility with an audience quickly? Keep doing that. So say something like, well, we're proud of all the widgets that we manufacture, especially our latest product. So you can say, he can ask you about the older widget and you can acknowledge that, yes, uh, we make that and we're proud of it, but we're really excited about this latest one, which is far superior than list the reasons and you're back on track. You just bridged from, tell me about the, you know, the older widget and you're like, nah, it's not really a winner for me. You're thinking that to yourself. I want to bridge to the thing I'm here to talk about, which is the new widget. So that's bridging back to what you want to talk about. So flagging is sprinkling your central message throughout the interview. If you want to make sure you get in the primary talking point, you can talk about it off the top. You can bring it back in the middle. It sort of centers you. What is my message? Why am I talking about? I'm talking about my new widget today, and I want to make sure that I get the message loud and clear about this. And then at the end, say something declarative about your new widget, and, and we call it planting the flag. So flagging is sort of is sort of putting your flag throughout the, sprinkling it throughout the interview, as I said. And then at the very end, you go to midfield, as I always like to say, the visual of planting your flag at midfield. And, and here, tell me, you know, the, the, something declarative, something memorable, the ability to be able to talk about the widget. And that needs to be your final comment. Or somebody might say, hey, is there anything else that we didn't uh, get to talk about? And you'd be like, yes, I want to tell you about how great this new widget is and, and here, here are the reasons why. So they may give you the opportunity or you may just take it at the end. So there's, I, I know this is a podcast and we're not going on for hours and hours, but those are just a couple quick things. And I know you probably have a, a few bits of color to add yeah. to this as well, Eileen. Well, it's a great reminder. Regine and flagging are two of the favorite examples of doing an interview really well. And you can see it in an action most of the time if you turn on um, I think honestly, a majority of folks, particularly C-suite, who get onto, um, you know, Bloomberg or CNN or any of those, yes. they're you know they're just great at it, right? So watch a little bit of that. Um, paying attention to your current spokespeople if they've you know been in the rotation for a while, and if they're forgetting some of those basic skills, like Rob just described, <laughs> now is a great time to kind of. Take them off the field, bring them in, do some coaching up, and get them back. You know, with their heads on straight to go back in the game. Yeah, um, to I continue mean, with them. Your because because field <laughs> the 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 point you're trying to make, the declarative statement you want to make, your central message, as it were. Um, I've been surprised at times. I've I've coached people up before. All right, don't forget this. Don't forget that. And at the end, it's like doors wide open. What are you doing? And you have to be able to recall it quickly and you have to be able to sprinkle it throughout. And that's part of preparation. And the other yeah. part of preparation too, and I know that this is, you know, for us, it's like, 
you know, if, if it has the potential to be contentious is like you prepare your, your, um, your client for the worst. And then when it's not the worst, everybody goes, oh my gosh, that was so much better than I thought. The worst <laughs> experience they had was having to deal with your question and answering that's preparing them. And that's a little bit different than talking about your widget. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It is an art, um, and, you know, and a science. And, and as you and I both know from having kind of played a big role in preparing people for a long mm-hmm. time now, it's an art and a science. And everyone needs to do um, continuing education, professional development, even in the spokesperson role. So don't let them go too long um, in their wild and woolly ways without having a new training in place to kind of get them, you know, refocused. Because sometimes I see this too, that folks who have been spokespeople for a while, they just, this is not to say they get cocky. They get confident as they should. You want to see that. That's growth. But but you don't want them to get so confident that preparation flags. And if they're sloughing off the preparation, like if they're yeah. saying, I don't need the pre-interview prep session, for example. You're like, uh, yeah. You're like, you know what? Everybody does. Everybody does. Right? Yeah. yeah. Everybody does. Um, anyway. So uh, thinking along the lines, again, of when, I, when you look at your spokespeople and the question of are they media ready, it's just check off some of these boxes that we're describing here in your mind. And if you're not able to check a few of them, it's a clear marker of we got to schedule a new media training, at least something that gets, um, you know, all the players on the field together to make sure that we're using the right techniques to the best of our ability and that we're not uh, falling back on old messaging, but we're really holding in today's messaging um, those are all important things in making sure that, you know, your spokespeople are media ready right here, right now, and they're still doing the best job for you that they possibly can. Let's talk about one final tip. It's um, kind of in this whole vein of um, core elements for sure, but also in the vein of if you have current spokespeople and they're getting a little comfortable, um, maybe they're not reading this anymore and maybe you need to make sure that they are. And that is your preparatory briefing book. We call it a briefing book probably because of alliteration. It's not actually a book, at least it shouldn't be. But sometimes, you know, depending on the magnitude and import of the interview, it could be nine or 10 pages, right? Um, And your spokesperson should be more than willing to take the time to read it and absorb it, internalize it, practice with it, and make sure they totally get who they're going to be meeting with. So what's in a briefing book? A briefing book has all of the foundational elements of um, that your spokesperson might be wondering about. What is this media outlet? Who's the reporter I'm speaking with or being interviewed by? Um, what are the basic questions that I'm likely to be asked? Now, you're not always going to get all the questions. We all know that. But you're at least going to know here is the topic that piqued this reporter's interest and got them to agree to the conversation. Or if it was them coming to you, what they told, you know, say your VP of communications, that's what this conversation is going to be about. And from that topic, your communications people can very likely derive uh, most 
obvious questions that could, should be asked, right? And then in that briefing book, if you've got a great communications team, a uh, Q&A has been prepared that uses all of your foundational messaging, your message map, if you used one, and it's been tailored to meet the specific um, interview opportunity, okay? So there's, there's kind of canned answers or canned at least, you know, bullet points of message, messaging that you'll want to rely on when doing the interview. But the most important part of your briefing book includes past examples of stories produced by this person, written by this person, et cetera, et cetera. Now, as a spokesperson, they, you should read them, listen to them if it's a podcast or radio interviews, watch them if they're broadcast. Take a couple hours on a Saturday when you're not distracted, if the timing works out, but in a moment when you're not distracted and watch them because you're going to learn more about how to be successful in that conversation, that interview with that particular person by reading examples of what they've produced. It's essential, absolutely critical. So here's what I'm going to say about the briefing book. Now that you know what's in it, if you've kind of stopped providing briefing books for your spokespeople, maybe you need to go back and do it again. Everybody's just, like we said in the last show, gotten a little rusty in our core skills. Let's trot out that briefing book again and take things as seriously as they should be taken so that every single interview is a home run. So briefing books, make sure that you're preparing them. Make sure that you're scheduling time ahead of your conversation with that the um, interviewee to, honestly, it's... It's as much a pre-game uh, practice session as it is a, did you actually read that shit? I just want to make sure. <laughs> and sometimes the answer is no. And then that's when you get nervous. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, oh, we actually need two hours today. Not more. Yeah. I, you know, I want to, I, I think this is such a critical point here, Eileen. And I want to give people kind of an example that happened to me in the last couple of years. And I won't name the company because that's not uh, germane. Uh, to this, but it was a uh, an issue where a company was going to be doing something that neighbors might have thought was going to be environmentally unfriendly to their area, and it, it really wasn't. But that's the way it was being portrayed, and there were multiple reporters covering this, and there were a couple that were truly um, pro environment, and there's nothing wrong with that, but but very pro environment, and so the briefing book was. Here's what this person has written. Here's the, the, the stories this person has covered. And when you go in, and I know getting your message out in the neighborhood is hugely important, but you have to understand when you go do an interview with that person, they're going to frame it in a way that you may not like, and we need to be prepared for that. So that's knowing the reporter, knowing what he or she covers on a regular basis and understanding what their you know, reporters are supposed to be unbiased. That's in the perfect world. In the imperfect world, people that have been covering beats for a long time have developed uh, points of view that sneak into articles here and there. And you need to be aware that, yes, while this is very important to get your message out in the community, uh, you have to understand this person is going to be hitting you um, with all of these questions that are going to make you uncomfortable. And we're prepared for it. And you know what? It's free media and two sides of the story are going to be told. 
and perhaps yours is not going to be getting 50-50 <laughs> even coverage, but the fact that you're able to go on the record and try to allay some of those fears is very important. So I just wanted to give a little example of something that I thought of recently where a briefing book was hugely important because you're able to really see what this reporter, what makes them tick. I can think of hundreds of times in yeah. nearly 30 years where briefing books saved the day. Yeah. Um, we never do an interview without preparing one of those in some form. It could be one page, but it's something. You know why? Because um, executives and uh, spokes doctors, all kinds of you know different spokespeople whom we with whom we work, their professions and their day to day lives are extraordinarily busy, and the briefing book is your life jacket. It's, oh, I only have 10 minutes until I do this, but I can sit in a dark room with my little pen light and read this and know that my head's on straight. Yeah. It's like, it's your life jacket. So um, love it. And it's funny, we have this one stable uh, roster of spokespeople that's recently been greatly expanded inside an organization um, with whom we work. And um, it's been so exciting to see so we've been, we've taken months to prepare these people before they were put out in any way. I mean, we did this right. Like it's rare that you get the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate, you know, the, the few examples in my career where we've been able to like nurture and support and give multiple sessions of media training and message development to new spokespeople before they get out there. It's been a treat for us to see how much that, that prep has paid off because the few interviews that one or two of um, the expanded roster that they have done come back and said to us, I have never felt so prepared for anything. And I have never felt so supported. And they specifically referenced the briefing books. So, well and listen, yeah, if you're in that situation, that's great to be able to do. And unfortunately, in a lot of real cases, people are either, oh, I'm too busy or this or that, or they're not spending the time preparing. Right. Uh, so the preparation, no matter what it is, whether it's this or something else, it's so key. And, and I know that you and I feel so strongly about that. Yeah. And if you can actually prepare a client in the way they need to be, where they do have time to spend months and months and months digging in and really get, I mean, that's the best case scenario. Sure. And unfortunately for us, you don't have to get a lot of that. those. So no. when it does happen, I'm sure just like you just brought it up, this is what happened. That's the perfect scenario. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we would probably just advocate for uh, more preparation rather than less and yeah. winging it. Not good. Uh, yeah. We'll get there when we get there. Uh, not great either. No, no, not when there's the stakes are so high. No. Yeah. Well, the thing well, about um, preparation and tools like briefing books and such, if you do use them with consistency and you're committed to doing that, your spokespeople advance in their skills um, a lot faster. This is at least, again, my point of view from you know having done this for quite some time. But when you cut corners and you make the excuse of not having enough time you know, to read that briefing book or to set aside time for the prep session, 
people don't grow as spokespeople and they actually get worse. So this is because they have these very uncomfortable interviews and they lose confidence and all those kinds of things. But the biggest reason that I advocate for that consistent commitment to preparation and tools like briefing books is because when the chips are down and the really bad things happen, you have adequately prepared spokespeople. And that's you why a, you, you have it. a foundation to rely upon. Exactly. You have something to, to fall back to fall back on. Oh my gosh, this is happening in, in real time and it's going so quickly. And if you've prepared and you have that foundational uh, preparation and knowledge, you're going to have a whole lot better chance to be successful. Exactly. Make the time to make the hay is when the sun is shining. <laughs> and that's that, that kind of wisdom you just can't get anywhere. And that's just such a perfect way. <laughs> to end this podcast, this episode. So That's thank right. you all for watching it. Another or watching, listening to another edition of Can You Hear Me? I'm Rob Johnson. You're never going to break that watching habit, my friend. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, did it for, I did it for almost 30 years. So exactly. it's like, oh, we're listening to this? Okay, what? All right. yeah, it's all right. good. All right. Well, I'm excited about our next episode, aren't you? Yes. talk about some crisis preparation stuff and it's going to be Awesome. I promise you. So yeah, I really, I really like the fact that we're doing this little series of podcasts and talking about crisis communications is certainly one of the key points that we want to, we want to share with everybody. So that's, uh, that's coming up next. Yeah, it's going to be great. So I'm Eileen Rochford and we thank you guys for listening again. And remember you can find, can you hear me wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google podcasts, and more.